we go on a Thursday morning edition of the Talk and Audio Podcast, episode 1093. Happy to have Wednesday in the rear view, I guess. I don't know what it looked like for those of you outside the nation's capital, but crazy-ass day around here. Just pouring down freezing rain amidst thunder and lightning. Just, just weird. My name is Matt Robinson, coming to you from our studio in a freshly ice-coated Bytown, Canada. Make sure you follow along on social media at Tall Can Audio and that you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. Big show today. Dan Schulman going to be here from uh, from ESPN and, of course, from the Toronto Blue Jays broadcast team. Lots to talk about with him, mainly around your Blue Jays, Major League Baseball. Uh, Alec Manoa last night, great start, seven innings, just one hit, no runs allowed, five Ks. If you weren't impressed with his uh, opening day performance, nice bounce back here. Got hit a little bit, actually. They uh, they managed to make some contact, but kept landing right into right in somebody's glove. So we'll take it. And I guess that's been the story they've been trying to tell us all spring. Right? Is that the defense would be better? And so far, uh, tons of evidence to support that statement. Very early on here in the new season. Uh, check out episode 1092. If you haven't had a chance to do that yet, Ian Mendez from the athletic was in studio. That was a lot of fun catching up with him. He hasn't been in, uh, in a little while, but talked all about this, this Ryan Reynolds thing with the Ottawa senators and the fact that he's tied himself to one ownership group, but the league badly wants him to be involved regardless of who ownership's going to be. Um, you know, it, lots of stuff to get into with, uh, with Ian, who's, uh, who's just awesome at what he does and, uh, was happy to sit down and have a pint with him and, and just kick it around. Right. So, uh, that's episode 1092 at talkian or, uh, wherever you're hearing this one, it's, uh, it's the next one down and good Friday going to be a lot of fun. I don't know if you caught it there on, uh, on Wednesday night, women's world hockey championships underway. Canada takes down Switzerland pretty comfortably to, uh, to get their tournament going. Uh, That'll be one of the things we get into on Friday with Michaela Schreider in studio. I will say up front here, often when I say Friday, that means it's out very first thing Friday morning by the time you're starting your day. This one will be a little later. Schreider's is coming in studio early afternoon, so uh, we'll get that out for you kind of mid-afternoon. We'll have that posted, and of course, it'll be around for for the rest of the long weekend while you're enjoying your your Easter. But uh, looking forward to catching up with uh, with Schreider as well. She's always down for... For a pint and a chat, so we'll have lots to get to with her. But today, we're talking baseball. I'll point out, before we get into this, uh, we recorded this on Wednesday morning with Dan. So we hadn't yet seen the Wednesday night Manoa outing. We'd had one trip through the rotation, uh, talked all about that kind of thing. But just so when you're hearing us talk about Manoa or a trip through the rotation, um, this was obviously done before that Wednesday night game. Toronto versus Kansas City, where uh, where Manoa had that strong outing. With all that out of the way, let's bring him in. From your Blue Jays broadcast team, it's Dan Schulman. How are you doing today, Dan? Uh, I'm doing well, Matt. How about you? Uh, no complaints. No complaints. Things are things are good. Uh, I know you spent some time down in Florida there for, 
for spring training, called some games. Now you're uh, on the road into it for real. Uh, what's the, the beginning of the season here been like for you? Uh, for me, it's been great. I, I love my job, so I'm very fortunate. Uh, had a great time down in Dunedin. I always enjoy getting to cover spring training. I get down there usually for the last 10 to 12 days of the spring once I finish up my basketball responsibilities and um, you know, then right to a long road trip, right? Kind of an unusual situation because of the renovations uh, at the Rogers Center, but uh, on to St. Louis and Kansas City and some ups and downs for the Blue Jays through the first five games as we speak, but it's a long, long season and uh, really enjoying uh, the beginning of the year. Before we get into the Jays specifically, I'm curious, you know, uh, what you've noticed now that the games count, how have players adjusted to the new rules that have been brought in? Is there anything that has stood out to you more than you expected it to or played out differently in the regular season than it did in, in the in spring training? Like, what have you seen so far here? I think by and large, they've adjusted extremely well. I, I actually thought once the regular season began, things would slow down a little that we would see. Uh, maybe batters ask for time a little bit more often, and that's not happening much at all. And, and if it does, it only takes seven or eight seconds, and it's once a plate appearance. But, um, you know, I thought like every guy would use a timeout every at bat, and it's not even close to that. It's maybe, I don't know, 10 to 20% of the time that, that a guy is using one. So um, I think it's been great. Um, I like the pitch clock. I think the players have done a really nice job adjusting. There's a lot going on, and there's still little loopholes here and there, and, and maybe not loopholes, but you know, people trying to figure out some of the subtler aspects uh, of the rule. Um, I like the the no-shift rule as well. I, I, I want to see the ball in play more. I want to see more guys on base, more speed and defense, and a chance to make great plays, and 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 things like that. So, and I, I like the increased stolen base attempts too. I, I'm I'm one of these uh, one of these people in favor of all the rules, and I think they're all having a, a nice effect so far. Yeah, I, I haven't kept track of it now that we're you know five or six days into the season here, but very early on, the successful steal attempts were way up. And uh, I know going into uh, Tuesday night, the Jays were 0 for five in terms of throwing out um, would be base stealers. I can't remember if anything happened there on on Tuesday night, but. You know, with that, this is going to be a thing. Teams are going to catch on that it's a, it's a little easier to steal than it used to be, and maybe the Jays are struggling. Is it too soon to be concerned about that if you're if you're the Jays? I think it's a little bit too soon. Uh, in general, I believe stolen base rates are usually kind of in like the seventy-two to seventy-five percent range. And I don't know. Uh, this does not take into account last night's games, but I know going into last night, uh, it was I believe eighty-three percent on the sport. So a noticeable increase um i think danny jansen will be fine uh alejandro kirk to me is a guy to keep an eye on his throws and i don't know if there have been two or three of them i can't remember but his throws have not been close and he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world um, but if guys are getting bigger leads and the bases are a little bit closer together that makes it tougher on him and, and i you know for the last few years uh for catching throwing hadn't been as emphasized because stolen base attempts were so low it was more about framing and framing is important. Trying to steal a strike here and there is important. But when I was a teenager and, and you know, really getting into baseball, when you evaluated a catcher defensively, it was throwing that we talked about more than blocking. Framing wasn't even a thing back then. <laughs> so uh, I think this is going to value the throwing arms of catchers a little bit more. I mean, all the studies have shown, that, at least the ones that baseball, you know, talks about that, that they say they have done. People like stolen bases. It's one of the things that... Uh, fans wanted to see more of or stolen base attempts, I should say. Fans enjoy it. So if it's going to be a bigger part of the game, throwing is going to be important. 
Uh, I want to talk to you about, uh, we're one trip through the rotation right now, but before we get into that, one member of it was in the news there earlier in the week, Alec Manoa. Um, Alex Verdugo of the Red Sox had some some things to say about him. I'll drop the audio in for our listeners who who haven't heard it. If it's a genuine reaction and it's for the boys, not again, like not directed towards somebody, then yeah. Like I'll say it right now, I think Alec Manoa goes about it the wrong way. Uh, you know what I mean? I, 100%. I think he does. You can find videos, footage of him in the AAA, of AAA going like this to a hitters. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, last year telling uh, Frenchie and Bobby, like, like uh, go sit and shit like that and it's just like and looking right at him yeah so it's like you know shit like that like that shit just pisses me off and like i said it's not it's not it's not the way it should be played it should be played like you're celebrating it with your team you're not fucking you're not disrespecting another player uh but you know just sort of talking about how fired up Manoa gets and and i guess verdugo believes that the way he expresses that is is disrespectful Uh, there was a bit of a run-in with the red Sox last year um I wonder if this is sort of a hangover from that. What do you make of the the exchange of words now between Verdugo and Manoa? Yeah, I, I don't get too caught up in it. Verdugo can be an emotional guy too. Both of them are. I understand why Blue Jay fans love Manoa, and I understand why some people on other teams may not be quite as fond of him because they, you know, he's 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 uh, protecting his own, showing emotion, you know. And if you're not on his team, you're not on his team. You know, Verdugo's done some of that kind of stuff too. I don't make a big, big deal out of it. We'll see if anything happens when the two teams play each other. I don't think it will, but if it does, you know, boys will be boys, and <laughs> uh, and and it happens sometimes. But it was interesting that Verdugo kind of went out of his way. He wasn't asked a question about Manoa. Mm. He was asked a general question, and he responded specifically about Alec Manoa. Um, and, and again, if Alec Manoa were a Red Sox or a Yankee, you know, maybe Blue Jay fans, obviously, they'd feel differently about him. So, but um, you know, a little, a little intensity in a rivalry is never a bad thing. There, there are two guys who both show some emotion on the field, and and I think they're each going to be true to themselves. And uh, I, I don't mind a little bit of that as long as it doesn't bubble over too much when they play each other. Do you believe Verdugo might be speaking for a larger segment of? Of uh, of players than than we as Jays fans. Uh, that's think. hard for me. Yeah, that's hard for me to speculate about. But again, I understand why you know people uh, on fans of other teams might feel differently. Like if you're a Boston Bruins fan, you love Brad Marchand. Sure. If you're not, you probably don't, right? And I'm I'm not saying Alec Manoa is Brad Marchand, but um, uh, you know Alec is a uh, a very large uh, and and. Uh, I don't even want to use the word emotional, but I, I don't think he's overly that emotional. But he, I mean, he he shows what he's feeling, and he'll pump his fist and he'll protect his guys. And you know, we remember, um, you know, last year with Garrett Cole, there were some words back and forth, and it, it's who he is. But um, you know, as has been well documented, he didn't have, you know, he had a at times in some ways a very difficult upbringing. He's had to fight for everything he's gotten, and that's that's part of who he is. That's wired into. Uh, into his DNA, so um, you know he's certainly not the uh, the the only one. I mean, there are lots of guys on lots of teams that fans of other teams don't love, but oh, it's sure. part of what Jay's makes fans him. Remember Strowman and loved him too, right? So right. it's it's, it's right. a little different, but you know, if he's your guy, you love him. If he's not, you don't. And... Right, and this is part of what makes him who he is, and part of what makes him successful. Uh, in my opinion, it's that burning desire to be the best that he can be and take care of his teammates and fight for what he believes in and, and all that sort of thing. So it's it, listen, it's professional sports. There's a lot on the line. Things get heated. These kinds of things happen from time to time. So as you and I sit here right now, this isn't going to drop until Thursday, but we have seen one trip through the rotation. And while 
I believe, like most baseball fans, it is the height of insanity to judge a season or a rotation based on one trip through it. I do wonder if it's fair to start to talk about one member of it, again, who's gotten off looking uh, to a start that looks an awful lot like what we saw last year. What did you make of Jose Barrios' start on Monday? Well, uh, you, you know, as was the case last year, velocity was good and his pitches looked like they were moving. Um, but when he makes a mistake with location, he gets hit. And, and I said to Buck on and off the air, he gets punished for every mistake. Like he never gets away with a pitch Mm -hmm. and you don't always have to make a perfect pitch to get a swing and a miss or to get a guy out. But it looks like if he doesn't make a perfect pitch, he gets hit. It's a little mystifying to me. There must be something where they see it. Well, I don't know if he's tipping. I mean, that's always a conversation when a guy gets hit like this, but Jose Barrios for the first five, six years of his career was a rock solid, steady, reliable, above average major league starting pitcher. Right. And I don't see why that should be so different now. He's 28 years old. He's in incredible shape. He works his tail off. And some of it I just don't get. Um, So I'm sure they're going to go back to the drawing board again and try to figure this out. You know, they've tinkered with his hand position, his uh, where he stands on the rubber, the pitch mix, everything. I mean, they keep tinkering with everything. You have to be concerned. You know, if, if you dig a little deeper on last year, uh, and, and I might maybe slightly off in this, but like 23 of his 32 starts were good or really good. Mm-hmm. The nine that were bad were really bad. And that's why he had a 523 ERA. Um, it, when it got away from him, it really got away from him. Like almost everything was like two runs or under or five runs or more. He didn't have any average outing. So they just need him to be average. I give him credit that he went back out there and got through five and two thirds and didn't burn out the bullpen that night. But yeah, I think there has to be some concern because it's happening too often for it to be coincidence. The other uh, name that we came into maybe a little bit concerned about, or who was a bit of a question mark, got off to the complete opposite start this year. You say Kikuchi had a very nice five innings, three hit uh, performance. Um, what did you make out of him that, that allowed him to look better than he did at much of last year? Yeah, uh, he was really good. Uh, only walked one, had one wild pitch and it was really wild. And then <laughs> But right after that, he kind of righted the ship again, and everything was fine. Um, the pitch mix wasn't as different as I expected it to be. It was more just about the execution, the location, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of people within the Blue Jays organization seem to think the pitch clock is a very good thing for Kikuchi. Think less. Just hmm. get the sign from Jansen, throw the pitch, trust your catcher. Just focus on you know your conviction in the pitch and trying to hit your spot. His stuff's always been good. We know that. I think he was a little predictable at times in the past. And like Barrios, I think when he left pitches over the middle of the plate, he would get smoked. So I think he made better pitches, more to the edges, less in the middle. You know, in the past, it would be ball one, ball two, ball three, and then wham, home run. Or, you know, he'd have to come right down the middle. When he's not falling behind 2-0 and and 3-0, his stuff really plays. So... Very encouraging. Not a good team. Not a good offensive team in the Royals. You know, let's see how it goes against the Angels and then the Rays, which I think will be his next two starts. But again, he doesn't have to be a star. They just need him to compete and keep them in games. Can he give them a decent five innings, give the bullpen a chance, give the offense a chance? And a very, very encouraging start for him. 
Uh, Gosman had a little bit of bad luck in his start. That's carried over from last year. Both Manoa and Bassett were down a little in velocity. I don't know um, if that's common early in the season. What uh, you know, it's just sort of we circle through you know our first trip through the rotation. What did you make of the the top three guys there? Yeah, Gosman was really good. Like you said, bad luck. You know, an, a Matt Chapman error and then a two-run squibber between Chapman and third base. You know, two things you'll never see in the same game back-to-back again. And they all the weird stuff seems to happen in Gosman starts. He looked great. I think he's going to have a great season. Uh, Manoa velocity was actually up. It, it was, was down in the spring, but it was actually up in his first start. I think he made a couple of mistakes, some middle-middle pitches, and they got hit. Um, you know, he's been too good, um, to say, Hey, there's concern right now. Um, you know, he's never had two in a row like that in the majors. Um, so, uh, you got to believe that, that he's going to be fine. Uh, and between the time we're speaking of the time this drops, he'll have pitched again. So Mm -hmm. who knows what, uh, what will happen. Um, and for Chris Bassett, his velocity was down a little bit from like 93 to 91, Something to keep an eye on too soon, I think, to say there's concern. You know, there's a lot going on for him. New team, new catchers, um, pitch clock, pitch calm. You know, is he calling his own pitches? There are a lot of different things for Chris Bassett than he's dealt with before. And he's a very, you know, he's a thinker and a tinkerer and, and a lot going on on the mound. And I'll be interesting to see if anything changes when he makes his second start. So I think Bassett bears watching. Um, more than the others, um, but but again, they don't need him to be a star. Just go out if he can just go out and be the guy that he's been the last couple of years. That that's going to be enough for this team. And and he's been around the block a few times. I'm sure he'll figure it out. Uh, I wanted to ask you what you thought of uh, of Dalton Varsho here after his first few games as a as a Toronto Blue Jay. He's he's shown again early on small sample size that he's maybe hitting lefties just a little bit better than we might have expected. He's already set a personal best with his. Uh, exit velo on a pitch this year like it looks like he's gotten off to a pretty encouraging start uh what have you made of his uh his debut with the jays uh, i'm a huge fan absolutely a huge fan super nice guy uh always willing to talk baseball and i think he helps you win games a lot of different ways you know initially i'm sure a lot of blue jay fans who had never seen the diamondbacks play looked at the trade and said you traded Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel for a 235 hitter. And that is a very, I, I get it, but that's a very surfacey way of looking uh, at this trade. First of all, I think if, if you care about batting average, I think that's going to go up moving from uh, Chase Field to Rogers Center. He hit 27 home runs. He is an exceptional base runner, exceptional base runner. Uh, we've seen already his ability to bunt for a base hit, which is kind of a lost start. But he does it mostly against lefties, who he doesn't have a lot of success against generally, although he did two years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's great at it. I mean, he's just absolutely great at it, um, at, at getting aboard uh, by trying to bunt for a base hit. He's a very, very good outfielder. Good range, good jumps, good roots. Uh, threw out a runner on Tuesday night with a, a perfect throw from left field. He helps you win games a lot of different ways. Uh, left-handed bat as well, which is, you know, as we all know, they didn't have many of those at all uh, the last couple of years. So uh, we've only seen him for about a week, less than that in the regular season. Uh, but I think he's a great pickup. And I, I think he's going to be a very, very important part of this team in the coming years. One of the conversations throughout the offseason when they moved out Guriel and they moved out Hernandez and they brought in a Kiermaier and, and a Varsho and, and Brandon Belt is... You know, we can exaggerate this a little bit. Maybe we're focused on it too much, but the home run jacket and the barrio and, and changing the vibe and the, the, the mood around the team. 
what is the vibe early on? Have you noticed a significant change in the way the group um, interacts and, and, you know, spends time together? Yes, 100%. And, uh, you know, not to embellish it, and this is not, you know, I mean, this is not just uh, uh, me saying it for the sake of saying it. It, it. it is different. When you bring in guys like Kiermaier, Belt, and Varsho, you know, you've already got Matt Chapman there. You know, you just look at, at, at who they have on the team. Uh, and some of the personalities have changed, you know, for better or for worse is that, you know, each individual can decide how they feel about that. But in speaking with a lot of people during spring training, there is no question that and, and it's become, you know, I know some people probably roll their eyes about it, but it's true. The the focus, the attention to detail, the little things, all of those cliches, you know, you didn't hear people like me talking about that in recent springs because that wasn't what we were getting from players and staff. That's what we're getting from them now. And, and um, I, I think it's definitely true. Like, that's how Varsho is. That's how Kiermaier is. That's how Chapman is. And in my mind, Chapman is the leader of the team, and even more so here in the second year than he was in his first year. And I think they understand the last couple of years, they've been talented, fun, underachievers. You know, they could have, should have done a little bit more maybe than they did. And their goal this year is to not have that same label. I think they'll still be fun. They won't be, you know, maybe quite as fun or they'll be fun in a different way. You know, you take the personalities of Guriel and Teoscar Hernandez out of the dugout and, and it changes a little bit. So, uh, you know, the Barrio doesn't, maybe we'll, it'll be different when the Blue Jays get back home. I'm not sure. The Barrio doesn't seem to exist anymore. We know the home run jacket doesn't exist. Uh, I, I know they didn't do anything on the Bo Bichette home run. I didn't notice anything on the Varsho home run. Um, also, like post-game interview on Tuesday night when Varsho was doing the interview with Arden Zwelling, no Gatorade, no, nothing got right, dumped yeah, on him. True. Um, you know, which is something that happened every win, road, uh, home or road, in recent years. So I know there were conversations about these kinds of things at the beginning of spring training, and I think collectively some decisions were made about, hey guys, fun is great, but it can't be, you know, the thing you're known for the most. Like it's it's time to get a little bit more serious and win games. Hazel's dry cleaner will be disappointed if yes, uh, yeah, exactly. If the Gatorade is gone. Um, you mentioned Matt Chapman there. He's off to a hot start, but he's a free agent at the end of the year. What do you think uh, the Jays' interest is in in keeping him? What do you suppose his interest might be in, in sticking around? Do you think he's been happy in Toronto? What is the what's the likelihood he'll be here again next year? Yeah, I, I think he's very happy. I think he enjoys it. At the same time, you know, he's a, a year away from free agency, and he has earned the right to become a free agent at the end of the year if they don't do something during the season. The likelihood is impossible to predict. We don't know if he'll have a great season or not. Um, you know, we don't know what the Blue Jays are thinking. And also, you know, you look at a guy like Addison Barger, one of their top prospects, who play third base. So, right. and he's a triple A right now, right? So that may factor into the equation as well, depending on the kind of season that Barger has. If he kind of makes it obvious that he's ready for the big leagues. Um, they do have some money coming off the books at the end of this year. Uh, notably Hyunjin Ryu, and and who knows about Kiermaier, Merrifield, Belt. Uh, Merrifield's on the last year of his deal. Kiermaier and Belt are on one-year deals. So, you know, who knows what kind of money may come off or if any of those guys uh, are going to be back. And as much as they've spent, and they've spent more than they've ever spent before, there's only so much to go around, and Vladdy will get a raise, and, and Bo Bichette will get a raise, and Jordan Romano will get a raise, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Bo's raise is built in, baked into his contract. So, you know, it, it's it's a giant jigsaw puzzle, right? And, and you can't look at Chapman um, uh, just on his own because a lot of other things impact it. I believe, and I think and hope, 
you just put it aside for now. Um, I don't think there will be talks during the regular season. Um, I don't know that, but I don't think there will be talks during the regular season. I think you just kind of play it out and have everybody focused on trying to win a championship and then see what happens in the offseason. Uh, what do you make of the bullpen this year? Because I think it, it to a lot of fans, it feels a little bit like past years. There's a lot of it's better than it's been in past years, but it's still kind of missing that one big swing and miss arm. I guess they're hoping Swanson can bring some of that. But, you know, when it, you, you bring somebody in and you got men on, you know, you want that one big power arm that just comes in and gets you out of it instead of pitching to contact or whatever. And they don't really have that again this year. Were you surprised they didn't, you know, go out and, and bring in something like that? And what do you make of this group? Well, I, I think, as you said, they're thinking or hoping Swanson can be that guy. So there's no question the bullpen is better. Uh, they have Eric Swanson. They didn't last year. They have Anthony Bass for a full season. They didn't last year. So those, those to me, um, are are two upgrades. Sure. Um, I don't believe it's an elite bullpen, but I think it's a good bullpen. Um, you know, Romano looks great. Uh, Tim Mays's uh, outing on Tuesday night was terrific and very encouraging. Jimmy Garcia gave him some big outs as well. Like there are a lot of good arms. What they don't have is, you know, Minnesota's got Yoan Duran and, and Seattle's got Andres Munoz, you know, guys who can come in in the eighth inning, even not, never mind closing a game mm -hmm. and just blow you away. Um, I don't know that they have that guy in front of, they don't have that guy in front of Jordan Romano. I think they've got a lot of good relief pitchers and they're, really, really, really focused on putting them in the right situations to succeed. And you saw it on Tuesday night, sixth inning, but it's the top of the order. Here comes Jimmy Garcia. Bring him back out for a second inning and get him to the part of the lineup where the lefties are coming up, then go to Tim Mesa. Uh, Mesa gets through the lefties, but they still need one more out. So Eric Swanson comes in for one batter to finish off the eighth, and then Romano does his thing in the ninth. I think the roles are really good right now, and the understanding of how to give these guys uh, a good chance to succeed is really good. Uh, two names to mention. You know, every year we talk about Nate Pearson. And can Nate Pearson be that guy? Right. I don't know. Two good outings so far at AAA. You know, kind of wait and see, right? Because it's been a few years. Can he stay healthy? Can he throw strikes? Um, that sort of thing. Obviously, if he is able to put it all together, he's got a chance to get some big outs and get some big strikeouts for this team. Another guy who has pitched in a lot of big games. And, and again, maybe he's not, you know, super elite, but maybe he goes kind of into that category with Swanson and Jimmy Garcia is Chad Green. Chad Green's been a very good pitcher, got a lot of big outs for the Yankees in high leverage spots over the years. And he's coming back from Tommy John surgery and hopefully is available for the second half of the season. So those are just two names to keep an eye on. Um, it, it's a good bullpen. It, it, to me, it's a good enough bullpen to be part of a playoff team. Can it get you a World Series championship? That remains to be seen, but a lot can happen between now and the end of the year. Last thing for you then, Dan, is I wanted to ask you what you thought of this year's World Baseball Classic. And I've talked to a few different people about this. I kind of came into it, I guess, like I often do. It's spring training. There's pitch limits. There's, you know, it doesn't feel all that. I'll watch when Canada plays in a couple of other notable games, but I don't really expect to engage in this. And it just sort of built and built and built and of course could not have possibly climaxed any bigger than Otani versus Trout in bottom of the ninth inning you know Japan USA the biggest matchup you could have delivered it it was fantastic and I just wonder like this one feels different to me this one feels like in in future years maybe you 
you you've now taught you'll you'll have convinced some more American pitchers to show up. You'll you've sold a bigger TV audience. Is that just recency bias or do you think this one is bigger than some of the past ones? Uh, I think it was a little bit bigger. I mean, if you talk to people, say, in Korea, they might talk about a couple of the others where their country fared better, right? But mm-hmm. but you're right. The Otani-Trout thing was enormous. The whole game, I thought, was great. And yes. there were there were three or four just phenomenal games, right, with late, you know, late leads or drama in the eighth or ninth inning. And you saw a lot of good, a lot of good stories. I like it a lot. It, is it a true best-on-best around-the-world tournament? Not really, but how many of those do we have? Even Olympic basketball sometimes is not really that, and we haven't had best on best hockey for years, so we don't have anything to you know to to compare that to. It's hard to get true best on best international events um, in in from the professional sports, the the North American professional sports. I thought it was great. I thought it was really fun. There's no great time to do it. I don't think you can do it at the All-Star break. I don't think you can do it in November. I think this is the time you have to do it, and I understand the hesitancy of pitchers to do it. I heard Kevin Gosman giving an interview, and he said he thinks it's great, but if they offered, if they asked him, and amazingly enough, they didn't. The United States never <laughs> asked him to be a part of the team. He said he probably would have politely declined because he doesn't want to be thinking in January about ramping up to face Juan Soto in March right. when what he really wants to do is to be pitching in the first week of November. So it, it just felt like too much too long for him. And, and so maybe, you know, from a pitching point of view, maybe you're going to get younger guys or a little bit less established guys, that sort of thing. Like from a Canadian perspective, Nick Pavetta, Nick Pavetta got COVID. Mike Soroka, you know, just can't, not healthy, so he wasn't able to do it. Zach Pop wanted to make the Blue Jays. Jordan Romano had committed to Italy in 2017, pitch for them, and then had committed to them again this time out of loyalty. You know, so those were a lot of good arms for a lot of different reasons that weren't part of Team Canada. Oh, and it might have been a different story had they been there. But um, I, I think it's fun, and I think if everybody just looks at it as, hey, isn't this super cool, rather than life and death, then you can enjoy it a little bit more and just you know, watch the drama unfold. I wonder if, uh, if the Americans just lost track of Gosman up here in Canada. And, and, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Kind of strange, huh? Yeah, exactly. For sure it is. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I appreciate your time. Um, you're always good to, to make a few minutes for me. Uh, I'm sure I'll come knocking again later in the summer. But uh, until then, I hope you have a great season and a great call. Um, and, and thanks for doing this. All right, Matt. Thanks. Enjoy the season. All right, uh, great talking to Dan Schulman. Uh, awesome to just one of those guys who's who's just so good at his job and has kind of reached this peak and, and very well respected. And you kind of sit back and I don't know what the hell he's doing here on uh, on talking and audio, but we're happy when he makes time and uh, and you know we'll no doubt we'll touch base with him again here as the season rolls along. Uh, don't forget, go back check out episode ten ninety two with Ian Mendez. All kinds of stuff on uh, on the Ottawa Senators involved in that one, and on ten ninety four coming at you on Good Friday. Michaela Schreider will be back in here. That's going to be great as well. So lots of great stuff around right now on the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following along on social media at Tall Can Audio. My name's Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on Friday. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal's. Call the weekend guy, I don't care.